Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. I'm your host, Sarah Sin, tackling horror movies, peeling back the layers, and taking a deeper dive into them. Again, on the show, I don't just discuss my love of horror movies. I like to bring in the aspect and perspective of horror and history, how horror movies tend to reflect society's fears. And since I am a psychology major, I like to bring this aspect and perspective in as well and see how the horror movie I'm focusing on reflects psychology and mental health in any way. Okay, so December is almost over. Um, yeah, it's pretty much over. We only have a day or two left as of when I'm recording this. <laughs> I hope everyone had a good Christmas. Merry Christmas to everyone. My daughter and I had a great Christmas. Um, we like to call ourselves the Fun House, and we always leave booze and either pizza or chicken nuggets for Santa. Um, this year it was truly and chicken nuggets. And we do this because I told her by the time Santa gets to our house, he's probably sick of milk and cookies. The truth is, I don't drink milk and I don't eat cookies. So I'm not going to be doing that. But I will drink some booze and eat some chicken nuggets or pizza. So anyways, that's what we've been doing for the last few years is we always leave some kind of booze, alcoholic beverage, and either pizza or chicken nuggets. One of these years, I'm going to have to leave him some tacos. I think Santa would love some tacos. So next month, I haven't thought of the theme yet. But I'm going to do franchise starters, um, which is going to be kind of hard because I've already covered a lot of movies that started a franchise, like Hellraiser and Leprechaun and Saw. But there's some I haven't tackled yet. So I thought at the beginning of the year, it's the new year, January will be franchise starters. So I'm going to pick out a few movies that started a franchise. Um, Again, don't know the theme yet, but I'll figure it out by the next episode, I promise. And I just... Want to wish everyone a happy new year. Thank you to everyone who supports the show. I really appreciate it. I love doing the show. Even if it was just two people who listened to the show, I would still do it because I find the show very therapeutic and I enjoy doing it personally. So I hope everyone has a wonderful 2024. And if anyone had a rough 2023 like me, I'm hoping and praying that 2024 is a better year for everyone. So I'm going to move on to the last movie for the theme of Not Something Old, but something new with 2015's Krampus, directed by Michael Doherty, starring MJ Anthony as Max, Adam Scott as Tom, Tony Collette as Sarah, David Cochnier as Howard, sorry if I butchered that, Allison Tolman as Linda, Conchata Farrell as Aunt Dorothy, Stephania Levy Owen as Beth, Krista Stadler as Omi, Lolo Owen as Stevie, Queenie Samuel as Jordan, and Maverick Flack as Howie Jr. So for Horn History, this movie is definitely talking about like the commercialism surrounding Christmas. Like people are very greedy and selfish. They want more, but they're not interested in giving. It's like the whole idea of like the commercialism of it. Like the whole beginning part of the movie is like people fighting over presents to buy these presents for kids and stuff. I would say also this movie reflects on the stress of Christmas. Like the presents, the cooking, the entertaining family, having to deal with family that maybe you don't get along with. There's a lot of stress that surrounds Christmas. Um, I know for myself, there's a lot of stress that surrounds Christmas. So I think this movie is definitely reflecting on that. And I would say a little bit of like the fear of the other. Like the 2010s, like um, in my essay, it talks about how in the 2010s, a lot of movies were reflecting on, again, that fear of the other people coming to invade your country. So some movies reflect on that. You know, if you think about it, the house, it's a home invasion movie. So I would say it's reflecting a little bit on that fear of society, uh, that well, the fear that was being fed to society 
of like fearing the other, fearing the outsider who's trying to invade your home, if that makes sense. Psychology and mental health, we've got guilt, there's fight or flight mode, stress response, there's a fight for survival, there's the dysfunctional family, there's chaos, pride, sacrifice, envy, fear, anxiety, and depression. So what is this movie about? And I just pulled this one from IMDb. When his dysfunctional family clashes over the holidays, young Max gets disillusioned and turns his back on Christmas. Meanwhile, this lack of festive spirit unleashes the wrath of Krampus, a demonic force of ancient evil intent on punishing non-believers. All hell breaks loose as beloved holiday icons take on a monstrous life of their own, laying siege on the fractured family's home and forcing them to fight for one another if they hope to survive. Moving on to the subgenre. There's a lot this movie could be, you know, put under or categorized as when it comes to the subgenre. It could be a slasher flick, since we do have people kind of being picked off one by one. Could be seen as a comedy horror, or horror comedy, I mean, because it does have scares as well as laughs. And it could be seen as a creature feature, because we do have some kind of, you know, a bunch of monsters running about and causing, you know, wreaking havoc. But since this movie takes place on Christmas Eve, as well as Christmas Day, and deals with the lore of Krampus... I'm going to say this movie is going to be put under the holiday horror subgenre. So I'm going to go over the definition of holiday horror. Holiday horror. This is a fun and entertaining subgenre that takes a specific holiday and blends it together with some other horror subgenre, usually slasher flick or psychological horror, with a little comedy thrown in, although many of these movies are generally scary. Holiday horror can be used in many different formats, from teen horror to found footage to anthology films. The plot of these movies focus on a holiday, centering around that holiday, and the holiday is typically the spark that motivates the killer to go on his or her killing spree. So, with this movie, there is a lot to talk about and a lot to unravel. So, even though this movie is scary, funny, and entertaining, it's still reflecting on a lot, of, on a lot really. This movie has a lot going on, but... The movie, I get, so there's a lot that's going to go on, and of course, I'm not going to cover it all, but there, the main aspects that I'm going to talk about that I believe it's commenting on is, like, the Krampus lore, how he's not really a villain, family dynamics, and the lessons that need to be learned, and, like, the meaning of Christmas, the spirit of Christmas, and kind of, like, what it means. So those are the three main things I'm going to talk about, really, is, like, family dynamics, Krampus, and the Christmas spirit. So... There's probably a lot more going on, and there's a lot more I took notes on, but again, I have to try to keep my show a little bit shorter when it's just me, because the editing does take a little while, and I apologize for that. So, this movie has a lot of nice moments within all the chaos that's going on, um, which is one of the things I like about this movie, is that it's got scares, it's got laughs, but it's also got a lot of heart. So, I'm going to start with the family dynamics aspect, I'll move on to the Christmas spirit, and then I'd like to end with the Krampus lore. And then I'm going to try to, you know, and then, of course, I'm just going to dive deep and, you know, talk about them and unravel what I can. So starting with the family itself, like the family dynamics and kind of like what it means to be family. So in this movie, we have two families. We have Tom and Sarah with their children, Beth and Max. They are the ones hosting Christmas at their house, which it's kind of implied that they do this every year. Um, it seems like they they're the ones who are always hosting Christmas. And Sarah's sister is the one who comes to visit with her family, which is Linda and Howard, and their children, Stevie, Jordan, Howie Jr., and baby Chrissy. 
We also have Omi, which is Tom's mother, who it's implied that she lives with them. And Linda decides to bring Aunt Dorothy along, which is either, which is on her side of the family. So Sarah and Linda, their side of the family has Aunt Dorothy. So we really do have like two dysfunctional families and they're dysfunctional for different reasons. Tom and Sarah seem to be growing apart because Tom travels a lot for work and Howard and Linda, Howard wanted boys and ended up with three girls and only one boy. So there's a lot of tension between both sets of parents. Like there's tension between Howard and Linda and there's tension between Sarah and Tom. So already each set of parents has tension, which then again, you know, a ripple effect. Um, it affects the children. So Howard and Linda show up with their kids and a surprise guest that they didn't tell Sarah about. Linda, surprise! Please don't be mad at me. Sarah, oh, Aunt Dorothy, it's so good to see you. Dorothy, yeah, well, your sister's no Mother Teresa, but at least she swings by every once in a while to make sure I'm not dead. So where's the nog? I need to get Mary. So later on um, during dinner, Howard is giving Tom a lot of shit, basically, and it seems like he does this every year because Tom didn't really do sports. He was an Eagle Scout, while, you know, Howard is like the typical American, like drives a truck, hunts, uses guns, and most likely voted for Trump. So already at the dinner table, there's a lot of, you know, tension going on. Sarah, wow, looks like Chrissy's really enjoying my gravlocks. And Chrissy's actually feeding it to the dog. Linda, careful kids. Remember that your Aunt Sarah likes everything to be clean and perfect. And that's why she makes so many foods that we can't pronounce. Sarah, well, I just thought you guys might like a break from macaroni and cheese with hot dogs. Linda, yeah, okay. Dorothy, well, you were wrong. And who doesn't make a ham at Christmas? What are you now, a Jew? So later on, Aunt Dorothy, um, she goes into the kitchen because Sarah has left to go make dessert. And of course, everyone's fighting and at the dinner table. And again, there's a lot of tension going on. Sarah's trying to make dessert and then Aunt Dorothy comes in. Dorothy, so what kind of godforsaken concoction are you whipping up now? You know how this fancy food clogs my pipes. Sarah, well, how about we go to your trailer for Christmas next year, hmm? And after you spent weeks decorating and cooking and cleaning, I might just waddle in and start bitching and moaning about everything you've worked so hard on. Dorothy. Oh, Sarah, you know. Sarah. No, Aunt Dorothy, please. For your sake, just stay the hell out of my kitchen. So Sarah and Tom's son, Max, writes to Santa every year. Um, and this is, again, we're still at the dinner table scene. And his cousin, Stevie and Jordan, steal the letter that he was going to send to Santa because Omi makes sure he writes his letter to Santa every year and decide to read it at the dinner table. And it's Stevie who's reading it. Dear Santa, I know I haven't been great this year, and I'm sorry for that. But I was really hoping you could help out me and my family this Christmas. We need you. I wish me and Beth could hang out like we used to. You might have noticed that I don't have a ton of friends. I wish my mom and dad could fall in love again. I know they get upset a lot with dad away from home so much. I think they really just miss each other. Also, I wish things weren't so hard for Uncle Howard and Aunt Linda. So maybe you can lend them a hand the rest of the year too. And that, and then Stevie stops reading the letter 
looks at Max and goes, screw you. Dad does not wish we were boys. And that ends up with a big fight. So Max ends up fighting with his cousins and then he runs up to his room because he's really upset and he's, you know, frankly, he's embarrassed by what his cousins did to him. And, you know, his cousin's dad is just like, oh, he's, you know, this is just poking fun. It's okay. And no one's <laughs> defending poor Max. So Tom goes up to check on him. Tom, you know they're leaving the night after Christmas. So we only have to survive another three days. Max, I don't get it. Every year it gets worse. Why do we have to put up with their crap just because we share DNA? Tom, because that's what family is, Max. People you try to be friends with, even though you don't have a whole lot in common. Max, but why? Tom, because, well, okay, you kind of got me there. Or maybe it makes us work a little harder to find what we do have in common, you know? Put everything aside. Think of other people for a change. Friends, family, even the assholes you normally can't stand. Max, like Uncle Howard. Tom, didn't want to name names. Max. Dad, do you really believe in all that? Tom, I want to, Max. So a snore, uh, sorry, a snowstorm comes, trapping everyone inside. There's no power, no heat, no hot water. Beth decided to brave the storm to go visit her boyfriend, and she's not back yet. Sarah and Tom are kind of sitting there talking. Sarah's really worried about Beth, but Tom's trying to, you know, think positive and be like, well, she's at her boyfriend's. Just give her some time to come back. Tom. Hey, hon, relax. Just for once, okay? How's everybody else doing? Sarah. You know, cranky, bored, sick of the snow, and each other. Tom. Tis the season. And they both start to laugh. Sarah. Oh, God, I miss us. Tom. Me too. So while Howard and Tom actually go to look for Beth, so they decide to go out into the storm and look for Beth because she's not home yet, the rest are kind of just sitting there at the house and taking care of the Christmas tree. Linda, oh my gosh, you had mom's angel this whole time? Sarah, yeah, I thought you knew. Linda, no. Oh, remember you used to fight over who got to place her? Sarah, yeah, you fought dirty. I still have the scars. Linda, where do you think my girls get it from? And she looks and finds an old ornament. Wow, you saved everything. Sarah, yeah, I figured that's what mom would have done, you know? So while they're out in the snow, Tom and Howard, I'm talking about, Howard is attacked and the rest of the family are at the house. They're trying to figure out like what's going on um, because, you know, Howard's back. He's been attacked. They're boarding up the house and everyone's just trying to figure out like what the hell is going on. Howard, hey, Tommy, I am. Um, I just want to say thanks for, uh, you know, saving my ass back there. Tom. Oh, well, sure. No problem. Howard. And I just want to say I'm sorry for thinking you're such a spineless dick all these years. Yeah. And so Howard and Tom continue to talk, and they're trying to think of a plan, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And this is where, like I'm saying, there's a lot of, like, moments together, nice heartfelt moments. Howard, you know, Linda and I, we butt heads, but I can't imagine my life without her. Tom, yeah, I know what you mean. So like I said, we had this dysfunctional family, like both families are dysfunctional and then together they're a huge dysfunctional family. 
Tom and Sarah seem to be growing distant from each other because Tom travels a lot for work. And it's implied that Sarah's a stay-at-home mom, which is nothing wrong with being a stay-at-home mom, but she's at home with the kids. He's out traveling a lot for work. Howard and Linda struggle. You know, it seems like they're the working class, living paycheck to paycheck, as it's implied, while it's implied that Tom and Sarah are, like, upper middle class, living comfortably. So, you know, you have Tom and Sarah who are doing well, don't have to worry. Howard and Linda, they struggle. Howard is disappointed that out of his four children, he only got one boy. Like, does he not realize that it's the man who determines the gender? You know, which is why he's actually raising Stevie and Jordan basically as if they were boys. Um, you know, because for whatever reason, he wanted boys, he got three girls, and he, for whatever reason, he's upset about this. Max and Beth, they've grown apart. And I think it's because Beth's a teenager now, and Max is just trying to, to hold on to his childhood. So they're in two different phases of life. So they're going to start growing apart as siblings. Tom and Howard don't get along. Because, like I said, Howard is a gun-toting American, while Tom, you know, lives a nice life um, and was apparently only an Eagle Scout, which is, you know, not a big deal to Howard. Linda and Sarah, who are sisters, are, you know, they're, they're growing a little distant, and it feels like there's a lot of jealousy between them, in a way. Like, I think Linda is jealous that Sarah married, uh, that Sarah married into money or you know she married someone who has a good job and never has to worry about you know how are we going to pay these bills how are we going to take care of our kids how are we going to pay for groceries as it's implied that Linda and Howard have to worry about like again they're the working class Sarah and Tom are doing really well but I think Sarah is jealous that Linda has a husband who's home and doesn't travel so they're both jealous of each other for completely different reasons both families have their issues and bridges to cross. But in the end, both families do have love and love for one another. We see Linda and Howard sacrifice themselves. They try to save their children, fight to keep their children alive. And we see the same thing with Tom and Sarah. You know, they're fighting for their children. They're fighting to survive. You know, they're trying to take care of each other. In the end, Linda and Howard, Sarah and Tom, they love their children and they love each other. And they will fight and sacrifice to save each other. And both families, you know, find love for one another during this, you know, time of need. Like, this is like they are in danger. This is a fight for survival. And they find the love for each other. Tom saves Howard, you know, gets him back to the house safely. Sarah and Linda bond over the angel and the ornaments and show that they really do care for each other. This movie shows that despite differences, in families, when push comes to shove, a family will sacrifice to save one another and that they do love one another. And in the end, families stick together through thick and thin. So, you know, it's one of the things I like about this movie that although these families, both these families have their problems and their issues, they still love each other. They are a family unit. They have differences. They get on each other's nerves and they fight, but they still have love. And it shows in this movie when they are willing to sacrifice, risk their lives, and, quote, brave the storm to save each other. So two dysfunctional families, two different types of families, but in the end, they are bonding together to fight to survive. And they are willing to risk their lives and sacrifice 
to save each other. So I hope that all makes sense. So let's move on to like the theme of Christmas, what it means, you know, like the spirit of Christmas, the meaning of the holidays. As the opening credits roll, we actually see people going nuts over Christmas presents or like fighting and trampling one another to buy gifts. And then we see Max gets into this fight with another kid during like the Christmas pageant. And then everyone's back at home. Max, shut up, Beth. Tom, I don't care who started it, Max. Max, Ben Kalinsky started it, and everybody knows it. We even have the whole thing on video. Tom, you're going to write an apology to the rest of your class for ruining the recital. Sarah, what were you thinking, Max? The kid was twice your size. Max, yeah, but Ben Kalinsky is always ragging on Christmas. He even told the first graders that Santa was just a cheap marketing ploy invented to sell Pepsi. Beth, Coke. Max, you know what I mean. Beth, but not why you care. Max, well, someone's got to. Sarah, here, let me see. Max, ow, 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 ow. Sarah, uh, it's not so bad. Just keep icing it. Tom, and was drop kicking him into the manger really the best way to handle this? Max, okay, that was not my fault. I was under the influence. All I had to eat was Christmas fudge and candy canes. Sarah, well, I hate to sound harsh, but every kid has to learn the truth someday. Max, oh, I know, I just, I didn't want it ruined for the little kids. So later on, Max is talking to Omi, his grandmother, Tom's mother, and you can tell that they're very close. And in this scene, um, Omi actually is speaking in German, but there's a translation, like, with the closed captionings. Max. Omi, do you still believe in Santa? Omi. Naturally. But I also believe St. Nicholas is what you make of him. Max. What do you mean? Omi. That to believe in him is to believe in the true spirit of the holiday. The spirit of giving. Of sacrifice. I also believe in dessert before dinner. So later on, like once all the mayhem ensues, Omi is sitting by the fire for most of the movie, like keeping the fire going. Max, Omi's been acting different ever since the storm. Tom, yeah, well, you know, she always gets a little weird around Christmas. Max, how come? Tom, I don't know. She never wanted to talk about it. So there is a scene, which I'll go over later, where Omi tells her story about Krampus. And then Stevie and Jordan are talking to her with Max, and they're just asking her some questions. Stevie, but what if you've been good, like all year, and you leave out milk and cookies and do everything else right? Max, it's not what you do. It's what you believe and what you've given up in here. And he points to his heart. Stevie, but can't we make him go away? Jordan, as she's looking to Max, what's she saying? Max, I'm not sure. Dorothy, she says we're fucked. Omi, eh. Max, how did you? Dorothy, because I'm old enough to know when life is coming at you with his pants down. So here we see like family members, like many of the members of this family have lost the true spirit of Christmas, like the meaning of Christmas. Max tries to hold on to this, like, he really tries to hold on to the spirit of Christmas. You know, he gets into a fight with that Ben kid because he's sick of him ruining Christmas for the younger children. He knows there's no Santa. 
but he doesn't feel the need to take that magic away from the the littler kids, like the younger kids, you know, and which is why he's upset with Ben. He still writes a letter to Santa every year, as Omi insists that he does, and it is the letter that he tears up that brings Krampus to the house. You know, Omi even says that she believes in the meaning of Christmas, like to give, to sacrifice, but other people within the family seem to be more... They're, they're more about the commercialism of Christmas, you know, being greedy, selfish, not thinking of others. They're not about the giving, they're about the receiving, you know. However, you know, once Krampus comes and starts to wreak havoc, the families, again, like I said, do band together to survive. And they start to understand, like, the true meaning of Christmas and that Krampus, Krampus sorry, is here to punish them because they lost the spirit of Christmas, because they're all about the commercialism, because they're not about the giving and the sacrifice. They're becoming greedy and selfish. So this movie is also talking about that aspect is, you know, the meaning of Christmas, the spirit of Christmas. Like you have to have that in your heart, you know, to give, to sacrifice, to want to give to others and not receive presents. You don't give presents to receive presents. It's about thinking of others. While a lot of people in this family, again, like I said, are greedy and selfish and they're not thinking of others. They are only thinking of themselves. And like I said, and now Krampus is here to punish them all for not, you know, withholding the spirit of the holidays. I hope that all makes sense. Okay, so let's move on to Krampus and like the Krampus lore and our Krampus in the movie. The only one who knows about Krampus in this movie seems to be Omi because she actually encountered him when she was little. Um, however, I do think she's told her son Tom the lore of Krampus. I don't think she ever told him her story, but I do believe that he's heard of Krampus because there is a scene where like, he sees these giant hoof prints and Howard's like, I've never seen hoof prints like that. And, you know, that that's a big animal. It's like a goat or an elk. And Tom's like, I've never seen, you know, an animal walk on its hind legs like that. And it's almost like a moment of, like, realization. Like, he's questioning, are these stories that Omi's told me of Krampus true or not? So I think in the back of Tom's head, he knows the stories of Krampus. He just doesn't know Omi's story of Krampus. So she actually ends up telling everyone her story. Linda, Tom, what's she saying? Tom, this is all our fault. He's come for us all. Sarah, he? Who, who's he? Tom, I, I don't know. Mom, what are you talking about? Omi, please, listen. Dorothy, English, I knew it. Omi, I must tell you something to all of you. It started with the wind, on a cold winter night, much like this. It was almost Christmas, but this Christmas was darker, less cheerful. But I still believed in Santa, in magic and miracles, and the hope that we could find joy again. But our village had given up on miracles and on each other. They had forgotten the spirit of Christmas, the sacrifice of giving, and my family was no different. I tried to help them to believe again, but we were no longer the loving family I remembered. They too had given up. And eventually, so did I. And for the first time, I didn't wish for a miracle. 
I wished for them to go away. A wish I would come to regret. And that night, in the darkness of a howling blizzard, I got my wish. I knew St. Nicholas was not coming this year. Instead, it was a much darker, more ancient spirit. The shadow of St. Nicholas. It was Krampus. And as he had done for thousands of years, Krampus came not to reward, but to punish. Not to give, but to take. He and his helpers. I could only listen as they dragged my family into the underworld, knowing that I would be next. But Krampus didn't take me that night. He left me as a reminder of what happens when hope is lost, when belief is forgotten, and the Christmas spirit dies. So in the simplest terms, uh, Santa comes to reward nice children, while Krampus comes to punish naughty children. Um, Krampus, uh, sorry, Santa gives, Krampus takes. In that light, um, this movie got the lore correct. Like, Omi even says that Krampus did not come to give that year he came to punish. And that is, you know, the simplest terms of what Krampus lore is, is that Santa comes to, you know, give presents to the kids who are on the nice list, while Krampus comes to punish the naughty kids and, like, throw them in his burlap sack and then take them to the underworld. However, I do not believe that Krampus is a villain. I believe he's a lot like Sam in Trick or Treat, which is another Michael Doherty movie. You know, Sam is the spirit of Halloween, only punishing those who do not follow the rules of Halloween. So is Krampus. He only punishes those who've lost the spirit of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, those who have lost the meaning of Christmas, those who are greedy and selfish and only take. He only punishes those who deserve it. You know, which is why I believe that once the storm comes, that's the family actually being trapped in the snow globe. Because there is a point in the movie where there's a FedEx guy, he shows up, drops off some packages at the house, and later on when Tom and Howard are braving the storm, they find him frozen to death in his truck. But he had done nothing wrong. You know, he did not deserve to be punished. Which is why I don't think he was real. I think he was a mirage, a hallucination. It was Krampus playing a trick on the family because Krampus doesn't punish people unless he deserves it, unless they deserve it, you know, Krampus. So I don't think the FedEx guy was real. I think it was just, you know, Krampus using his magic and because I don't believe he would punish an innocent person. So when Max rips up his letter to Santa... That's what summons Krampus to their house. I think it's, well, I think it's really the last straw that summons Krampus to the house. Because, like I said before, there's a lot going on with this dysfunctional family and the fighting. And a lot of them have lost the true meaning of Christmas. I think when Max rips up the letter and throws it into the air, that's like Krampus is saying, like, that's the last straw. But the question is, is Krampus really punishing them? Or is he trying to teach them a lesson? Trying to teach them some values? Does Krampus, like Krampus, take the time to teach them the true meaning of Christmas, to give, sacrifice? Is he giving them a chance to redeem themselves, but punish those who do not learn? And this is what I believe the whole movie is saying about Krampus, is that Krampus isn't just about coming in and sweeping through and punishing you. I think Krampus comes to teach you a lesson to teach you values, to teach you the meaning of Christmas. 
you know, that you need to band together as a family, not, you know, fight with one another. You need to come together. You need to come together to fight against me and my minions because we are here to teach you what the true meaning of Christmas is. It's about giving. It's a, it's not about taking. It's not about being greedy and selfish. It's about giving to others. It's about being together as a family. But in the end, if you do not learn your lesson that Krampus is trying to teach you, that's when he will punish you. So I hope that all makes sense. So to try to like connect everything together in what I'm saying, I, I kind of just did, but to kind of like round it all out really quickly, um, you know, this is two dysfunctional families, like I said, who have lost the true meaning of Christmas. You know, they're greedy, they're selfish. Some of them are like, look at me, I have money, while other people are jealous that the other person has money or has a husband that doesn't travel. You know, so Krampus comes to teach them a lesson and to punish them if they do not learn this lesson and do not learn to be a better person. You know, who do, you know, they need to learn to band together, to sacrifice and risk their lives in order to survive. Because in the end, they do love each other. So these are two dysfunctional families that do love each other. And Krampus is there to teach them a lesson to learn the true meaning of Christmas, the true spirit of Christmas. And he's only going to punish you if you do not learn the meaning of Christmas and to band together and to be a family then, you know, that's when he, sorry, that's when he punishes. I don't believe he just comes to punish. I believe that he's there to teach a lesson. And if you do not learn that lesson, that's when he's going to keep you trapped in that snow globe and banish you to the underworld. If that all makes sense. I hope that all makes sense. So I'm just going to read one review for today. Since again, I'm trying to keep the show a little bit shorter. Games, Brains, and a Headbanging Life says, up there as one of the most fun Christmas horror movies to be released. While nowhere as violent or shocking as many, it has enough moments to excite even the most hardcore of horror fans. Well filmed, well acted, and some great costumes. Make Krampus your yearly Christmas tradition. So overall, this movie is a fun, yet creepy, and very entertaining holiday horror that shows the consequences one will suffer if they are greedy and selfish and forget the true meaning of Christmas and lose the spirit of Christmas. This movie will make you laugh and creep you out at the same time. It doesn't really have any gore, to be honest. The kills are inventive, though. So the movie as a whole will keep you entertained. And I love Trick or Treat, another Michael Doty movie. And Krampus is another wonderful addition to the holidays. He really knows how to invent lore surrounding a holiday, rules for that holiday, and show what happens when someone disrespects that holiday. So I would really love to see Michael Doherty tackle another holiday like St. Patty's Day, like St. Patrick's Day. I would love to see a movie based on St. Patrick's Day, what the lore and rules he could come up with surrounding that holiday and the consequences when you disrespect that holiday. If you haven't seen this movie, you should. It's a good one, and one you should add to your December watch list. It's got scares, will make you laugh, but it also has a lot of heart and a message as well. I think this is one you should definitely add to your every year, you know, December Christmas holiday horror watch list. And remember, Christmas may be over, but Krampus is still watching.
So I'm going to wrap it up for today. Thank you again for joining me here on Simple Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Again, I'm your host, Sarah Sin. Thank you for sticking around as I discuss horror history, psychology, and mental health within horror movies. Hope you enjoyed the show. Again, thank you for listening. And I just want to remind everybody that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy. So thank you. <laughs>